On this week's Politics Tuesday, we check in with election officials in Broome County to see how early voting is shaping up. Plus, we check in with the Ithaca Voices' Jimmy Jordan on the city's mayoral race. But first, I'm joined by WSKG politics and government reporter Vaughn Golden. Vaughn, how much coffee have you had today? Uh, I've had a pot, and that's still not nearly enough. (laughs) (laughs) How do you, uh, what kind of coffee do you drink? Uh, Black. Well, <laughs> thanks. That's okay. Gotcha. I'm okay. Like we're, your soul. Oh yeah, we're 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 all good here, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're in crunch time. This is this is the end. Uh, what have you been up to this uh, past week? Yeah, so it's uh it's been a crazy week. Uh, crunch time indeed. And uh, I mean, I really expected to see candidates like out on the campaign trail, pulling out the stops. It's that's that's natural. But um, I honestly, I think what what we've seen in the last week has really uh, exceeded my expectations in in, in that way. Okay, and why? Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, okay, so like in the week before, it's typical to see, uh, especially in bigger races, uh, some of the ones we've seen locally, to see some big names, some you know, power players, as you could say, come out and stump for candidates. That's natural. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I think we've seen a lot more in New York uh, than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, Joe Biden, uh, President Biden was in Yonkers yesterday. Uh, on Sunday, a New York um, and New York one political director with, with Spectrum, Bob Hart, um, he, he tweeted something out over the last few days and said something along along the lines of Biden showing up um, tells more than any poll that we've seen. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've seen Hillary and Bill Clinton out on the campaign trail, uh, Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris stumping for Kathy Hochul. Uh, on the Democratic line, Republican candidate for governor Lee Zeldin has had Ron DeSantis up here, uh, has been around with Tulsi Gabbard, George Pataki. Um, but again, back to the, the Democrats, I think um, that is kind of the more surprise here in the run up to Election Day, that those power players are coming out for the Democrats. And I, I think that could really be indicative um, that they're they're worried about turnout and uh, the chances uh, on Tuesday here. Yeah, Um it's I, I, I think the point is that there uh, that this race, the thought is that this race is competitive, the race for governor. Right, right. And I, I think a few weeks or at least a few month and a half ago or so, we I, I don't think we or many Democrats thought they would be in this situation right now. I mean, we, we'll see what happens on Tuesday. Uh, you know, we, we could be completely wrong. But the fact that they're here, I think I think sends a sends a little bit more of a message. Yeah, absolutely. And so we've seen uh, some of these power players, uh, as you say, locally, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, former President Bill Clinton was campaigning for Josh Riley in Sullivan County in the hamlet of Hurleyville uh, last week. Um, There's a few people, a few hundred people who showed up to that. Um, and that, that same day, um, Josh Riley was also up in Binghamton with uh, Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado, uh, having a little rally with Democrats there. Uh, again, that same day, uh, Republican House, currently minority leader, potentially a speaker if Republicans retake the House, Kevin McCarthy, uh, he was holding a fundraiser for Molinero up in Whitney Point in Broome County. 
uh, that was closed to the public. That wasn't more so like a rally. That was um, that was a fundraiser. Um, I I did show up. Uh, <laughs> I was tipped off about it and showed up and mm-hmm. was politely asked to leave and <laughs> and, and I did. And they were nice about it, but uh, no, I did not get to speak with McCarthy. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> about that. Sorry you missed that. That's uh, okay. It's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, and over the weekend uh, they were out in full force too. Riley held a rally out east, uh, I believe, in Columbia County. Um, Lee Zeldin was in Johnson City, just outside of Binghamton, with Mark Molinaro and and other Republicans as well. So um, they've certainly been out and about uh, locally and around the region, too. But of course, the one power player we haven't seen is uh, former President Donald Trump. Yes, we uh, we haven't <laughs> seen President Trump. Um, and it's uh, it's. <sighs> He's played such a weird dynamic in this race. I think um, Democrats have have continued kind of an age-old strategy, I guess we could say, going back a few cycles of trying to tie Zeldin and trying to tie Republican candidates to former President Trump. Uh, So that's kind of been like an attack attack on their end. Um, and and I don't know, you know, the internal mechanisms, the thinking of the Zeldin campaign, whether they would have wanted him uh, to show up or not. But no, we, you know, right. we have we have not seen him. So, uh, you know, we're talking about the governor's race. We're talking about um, uh, 19th congressional district in New York, um, which covers Binghamton and Ithaca. Um, so uh, 19, that's a, a competitive race as well, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I I think we knew that we kind of had an. It's been rated as a toss up, uh, pretty much this entire cycle. Cook Political Report has it as a, a toss up, and uh, we got some new polling from uh, Siena College this past Friday, um, but and that had a pretty similar margin to a poll they put out a few weeks ago. It still has Riley ahead. Um, you know, we could go back and suss out all of the, the details of that polling. But again, going back to, to Bob Hart, um, it's who shows up and while where they're showing up that I think we can draw a lot more infer- inferences than than these polls. And like you look what, look at where Zeldin was this past weekend. He was in Rochester in Monroe County mm-hmm. uh, in a race that um, that. Uh, Democrats pumped uh, a lot of money into for Joe Morelli up there uh, running for Congress. They pumped a lot of money into that race in the last week, which attracted a lot of attention. A lot of people did not expect that to be competitive. It's not even rated competitive. But the fact that Zeldin is showing up there um, with uh, to hold rallies and Democrats are pumping money into that race um, kind of presents some tea leaves. You know, Zeldin was also in Orange County in New York 18 with uh, that race with uh, Colin Schmidt. He was campaigning with Tulsi Gabbard down there. And yeah, he was in Johnson City. He was in Broome County. Uh, Where they show up matters. And uh, I I think we may see some impacts of that um, being part of the consideration uh, here on Tuesday. Okay. And what details are you watching in the results from Tuesday? Yeah, um, I'm going to be looking mostly at turnout in Broome. Uh, Broome County, uh, especially amongst independents really in the city of Binghamton. Again, I will bring up this stat until I die. There are 21% of registered voters in the city of Binghamton are Republicans, and they statistically, it's not an opinion, statistically they've overperformed here in a number of contests. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think turnout amongst, uh, uh, in, in the city of Binghamton, and especially among independents, if they go uh, towards Republicans could really play a big impact 
in the 19th congressional district race, the 52nd state senate district race with Rich David and Leah Webb. Um, and, uh, and yeah, they, and the other thing I'm looking at too is turnout in Tompkins County. Um, very liberal, yeah. solidly blue bastion in upstate New York has been that way for, for decades now. Um, but if, if those voters don't show up, uh, that's going to really hurt people like Josh Riley and Leah Webb on the Democratic lines uh, as kind of their, their, their base, their um, reliable uh, people to show up. So if they don't show up to kind of counter, counteract many of the, the more sparsely populated and more conservative-leaning parts of the district, that could really affect them too. The other thing I'm looking at is, uh, is uh, coattails. Um, so who do people vote you know, Democrat all the way down the ballot or Republican all the way down the ballot? Um, you know, do people uh, like Josh Riley and Mark Molinaro, who are really trying to attract those independents, have they been successful in uh, in in doing so? And is there um, there some switch between people who have cross party lines to to vote for these candidates? I think we've seen that in their strategies. They're trying to um, play more towards the middle, um, but we'll see if it works out for them or not. Yeah, and and I think I mean going back to Binghamton, what you're talking about. Um, I- I think the candidate matters, I, and I think that's what you were you were you're seeing um, when you see uh, sometimes like the mayoral race that you covered last year um, and and the Republican one there. I mean, the the candidate matters, and uh, I I think again that's why you know you have a, a race like Riley and Molinaro, and it, it's just so disappointing that there wasn't a debate between those two because a, at least a debate kind of is the the public's way to shore up these two candidates and i i just i just was you know i was stunned that that they didn't get it together and get a debate between the two of them yeah and it's uh well what's different between that mayoral race and and this cycle you know last year compared to this year Mm -hmm. is there were not super PACs pumping sure over 10 million dollars um, into a race like that there, you know, I, I'm on my phone, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook now. And every other ad is, is, is a grayed out blurry version of Josh Riley or Mark Molinaro. That distort Um, the facts like you've covered. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's been, we we could have expected that, but I, I think that advertising and the amount of money that's going into this is naturally going to possibly get voters out or, Maybe not. I, I talk to a lot of people outside of you know political circles, people who aren't showing up at rallies and things like that. And I talk to so many people who are really uh, just politically disaffected, um, and 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 kind of laugh at at these ads when they come up. Yeah. Uh, and I was I was at uh, <laughs> admittedly I was at a, a bar where karaoke was going on, and a Josh Riley ad popped mm-hmm. up, and and the the guy who was doing karaoke uh, was just like, yeah, Josh Riley, okay, he's a guy. We'd love to stop hearing from him. <laughs> and it's it, 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 they're everywhere. See, and that, that that's why I'm looking for turnout amongst you know independents, and and turnout is is big. I I I will be interested to see whether people are motivated enough, um, whether they're angry, whether they're uh, feel like you know, safe or not, uh, whether that translates into people showing up, and and how that affects what candidate may uh, ultimately prevail here. 
All right. Well, thanks, Vaughn. I'm going to leave it to you from there. We're almost at the end of the line. It's almost over. Light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) Folks, all good things must come to an end. We've got one more episode of Politics Tuesday coming your way. We'll wrap up whatever happens on Tuesday night in that episode. It'll hit your podcast app this coming Friday, November 11th. The city of Ithaca will elect its next mayor in Tuesday's elections. This is after former Mayor Savante Myrick stepped down. Here to discuss the candidates in the race is Ithaca Voice reporter Jimmy Jordan. So can you give us a a, a brief rundown of who the three candidates are in this race? Yeah, for sure. So uh, there's acting mayor Laura Lewis, who's the Democratic candidate. And like you said, she was appointed by former Mayor Savante Myrick. And she is going to bat to uh, be reelected to serve that single year term. And then on the ticket, we also have Republican. uh, And then on the ballot, we also have Republican candidate Zach Wynn, uh, who is by far a a long shot candidate. Ithaca is a very left leaning city. And then there's independent candidate Katie Sims, who is um, further left than Lewis, I would say and is interested i think the race is safely it's safe to say that it's between katie and laura got it you 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 mentioned katie sims swims in the more you know progressive circles of ithaca politics do you have a any sense of where the candidates are looking for support uh trying to pull voters from uh going into this election yeah absolutely uh katie sims is an activist uh in housing, environmental circles, and labor circles. And, you know, if you go to a rally for the unionized Starbucks stores, you're likely to find Katie Sims there. If there's a rally uh, on the commons demanding or uh, about like the city of Ithaca's, you know, Ithaca Green New Deal, you're likely to find Katie Sims there. Labor, environment, and uh, housing are, are definitely her three, uh, the, the three activist circles she runs in. Uh, she has strong associations with the Ithaca Tenants Union, too, and was regularly uh, at the rallies in front of the uh, Ithaca City Courthouse uh, as the eviction moratorium lifted, speaking at them, demanding for evictions to be stopped. And what about Laura Lewis? You know, acting Mayor Laura Lewis is definitely drawing on this reputation of Having been on Common Council, um, having you know a you know reputation for knowing how to do the work, uh, I think a lot of longtime city residents uh, are going to be supporting her. She has support from almost all of the sitting members of Common Council, and a lot of uh, I guess you could call the old guard people that have uh, served on Common Council before. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think that her appeal is going to be towards a more moderate voter, um, someone that is interested, the idea being in the city being run uh, by someone who's experienced and has, you know, had a long established reputation in the community. 
So this is obviously a a city of Ithaca race. It's there's it's not big enough to draw any kind of major public polling or or these kind of formal indicators we have about how the the candidates may be doing. Um, but I understand you you dug into campaign finances for the race. Uh, can, can we draw anything from uh, those figures? Yeah, it's a good point that we don't have that polling data, and so we really can't get a good sense of how close the vote will be between Lewis and Sims. Uh, but the campaign finance disclosures that uh, the most recent disclosure from the two candidates do show them having raised almost exactly the same amount of money. Um, the disclosures did show that Sims was outspending Lewis earlier in this race, but you know, through showing me receipts, Lewis's campaign has begun to make some very big uh, spending measures in this race. Uh, So Sims and Lewis both raised about $6,800 by, you know, October 24th, which was when they had to submit their disclosures. Lewis at that time had only spent about $400, uh, but her campaign shared with me that they have over $4,000 of expenditures for mailers that they're sending out. Uh, At the time, Sims campaign, they'd spent uh, something over $2,000 working on getting, uh, you know, the vote out, getting support. So, you know, when we look at that, the, the race feels close when we look at those numbers and if we consider that a proxy for support. Are there any other tea leaves we can read? You know, things like, just like the number of campaign signs you see around the city, things like that? Yeah, so Laura Lewis doesn't actually have lawn signs. Uh, she doesn't think that they're sustainable, that they just end up in the dump. Uh, Katie Sims has quite a lot of lawn signs. If you drive around Ithaca, you're going to see that red and white sign in a lot of corners. Um, Sims has also had what appears to be a more robust effort uh, at door knocking and, and that sort of thing. Lewis's campaign is absolutely doing that, but just the ground game that I've been watching from Sims, people are out a lot, doing a lot of door knocking um, and you know, getting getting out into the neighborhoods. So last week, there was a a contentious meeting of Ithaca Common Council uh, with regards to the budget vote uh, that ultimately was tabled. And and there were a lot of people who showed up and and were very frustrated by this. Do you have any sense that this this controversial meeting may play any kind of role in the mayor's race? I think it's absolutely possible that the center of gravity in this race might shift as a result of what happened at that meeting. And and to be clear, the city had put on the agenda for the Common Council to vote on Wednesday to approve the budget. And the consensus was definitely there. The budget would have passed had they had that vote. Now, the city employees across the public sector from Department of Public Works, police department, fire department showed up to talk about their dissatisfaction, deep dissatisfaction, with wages stagnating over the years, their benefits being slightly reduced, and the challenge that has created in those departments to recruit and the short staffing that they have been suffering under. And, you know, the work stays the same, but if you are short-staffed, then you get crushed. Um, So they wanted to communicate to Common Council that the budget does not, in their view, reflect the funds that need to go to city employees 
And they put a lot of heat on the city attorney who leads the contract negotiation team for the city of Ithaca, uh, particularly calling him out for being someone who's uncompromising and not collaborative enough in their role. Uh, Now, Mayor Lewis did release a statement the next day uh, praising Ari Levine, the city attorney, for being an exemplarily uh, an exemplarily city employee um, and head of the negotiations team. But it was shocking. It was like a dam breaking. All these city employees showing up to call on Common Council to, you know, make Ithaca the union town they uh, talk about it being by supporting city employees. It feels like that could really change this race. Have we seen any direct results or, or evidence that, that city employees may support Sims or oppose Lewis, you know, mostly drawing from, from this, this situation? No, we, we haven't seen that yet. And, you know, a lot of the city employees don't live in the city of Ithaca. So it's it's a tricky situation, right? You know, the Common Council is uh, beholden to their voters uh, and in a sense, they're also beholden to the employees of the city uh, who don't have a vote for these these council members, um, all of them, I should say. But no, Sims, Lewis, when city employees haven't politicized their issue in in that way in this mayoral race. So the, the city of Ithaca has a large amount of Democrats uh, as far as its registered uh, voting population goes. And, you know, that, that, that's just a fact. There, there are way more Democrats than Republicans in the city of Ithaca. So with that said, what role does um, – is Zach Wynn playing in this race as the Republican candidate? You know, I think Wynn will for sure – you know, he, he, he has directed a lot of his attention – uh, at the city of Ithaca's West End, talking to residents, particularly in Nate's Floral Estate, which are, which is a a, a trailer park uh, for retirees next to Ithaca's homeless encampments, and you know he he's been targeting constituents like that with messaging that, you know, the city needs to do more for the issues that surround you. The city isn't paying enough enough attention to crime. I'm not sure if that's going to be a I don't think it's going to be a serious turnout in favor of him. Um, I think that he's in this race just to get his message out. Got it. I've been speaking with Jimmy Jordan from the Ithaca Voice, speaking about the Ithaca mayoral race. Jimmy, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This year's elections are shaping up in the next few days, and early voting has been used by a number of New Yorkers and continues to grow in popularity around the state. Here to discuss uh, how things are shaping up in Broome County is Democratic Elections Commissioner Dan Reynolds. Dan, thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, Vaughn. Appreciate it. So looking at numbers ahead of time, uh, just generally speaking, uh, in Broome County, how are we shaping up uh, in terms of early voting numbers this year? And how does that compare to the last few years? Well, we're, uh, um, we've, had, we've had a pretty good turnout um, on early voting every day. I think we're averaging around 1,200 voters per day. So through uh, Friday... Um, 
we had about 8,400 uh, people that have uh, voted, used the early voting sites. We've got four sites going. So uh, so that's about uh, – um, I think that's, that's pretty good for uh, a gubernatorial year. We'll probably end up – because we've still got early voting today and tomorrow, so weekends are a little bit heavier – uh, we'll probably end up with maybe 11,000 or, or uh, 12 or something like that, I would think, for, for the total. So that, uh, those people are all, all set. Yeah. And I, I understand it's difficult to compare year to year. You know, last year wasn't a, a midterm cycle, and the year before that was the pandemic. But mm-hmm. do you have any gist over is this, are we seeing more early voting turnout or, or less? Uh, well, it's higher than last year and lower than the presidential year. Yeah, the presidential year we had, uh, we had you know, 20,000 uh, people that came out and used uh, early voting. Um, Last year it was, <clears throat> you know, not uh, not as big a year, so we had fewer. So I think it's, I think it's as anticipated. You know, it's going uh, it's going as anticipated, and it's uh, it's going well. I haven't heard about any uh, problems with uh, with early voting uh, so far. So I think it's I think it's a good system. People like it. You can go any one of the four spots and whatever is convenient, and uh, you get a ballot, you're in and out. You know, we keep statistics on, uh, on uh, how, how long it takes to process somebody, and, and, you know, you're generally in and out. It's a good, it's really, I think, a, a positive system. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I was going to ask, generally, how has it been facilitating that? Do you feel as though you have the resources to keep early voting going? I know that was kind of a concern when we first implemented this uh, a few years ago. Yeah, I think we, we do. Um, we do, and we've uh, we've gotten uh, you know we've gotten help from uh, uh, the county legislature. They've been very uh, they've been very good and very accommodating, uh, providing us with uh, the staffing levels that we need. We're a little bit more staffed up, in other words, now than we were a couple of years ago, and that's just necessary now because we've got this new system, and we're also processing so many more absentee. Uh, ballots as well so uh so yeah we're a little we're staffed up and we're in, we're in pretty good shape i think and then the state has uh the state's provided certain grants to uh to help counties with uh with the additional costs associated with you know the the absentee ballots and also the uh, early voting. Mm-hmm. And that's a good segue. How are we looking in terms of absentee ballots? Uh, how many requests, uh, ballpark, how many requests has uh, Broome County gotten? And uh, do you have a gist of how many of those have come back at this point? Yeah, so I checked I checked through yesterday, and we had um, uh, about 6,100 requests, and 4,200 uh, have been returned. So... You know, it's about seventy percent, so it's pretty. Uh, uh, it's pretty good. But we'll continue to get uh, absentee ballots in the mail right through uh, election day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, you can mail them. You can still mail them right through election day. So we'll get them. We'll you know we'll get dribs and drabs uh, even a few days after uh, the general election on Tuesday. And those count as long as they're postmarked by yeah, election yeah. day, right? Right, right. Okay. As long as they're postmarked by election day, they're good to go. They've got to they've got to be received within seven days too. So, but those will be a, you know um, hopefully everything uh, or almost almost all of them are in by that time. You know. Mm-hmm. What um, and and again, this, these are hard numbers to compare to like a presidential cycle. But yeah. how are we looking comparing to other years in terms of the number of absentee ballots that were requested? 
Well, I mean, you remember a couple of years ago with uh, uh, when we were in, involved in uh, that situation with uh, with Tenny and Brendis. Situation is is one way to to <laughs> describe that. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, um, I mean, there were just there were like. 20,000 absentee ballots that year, you know, so I mean, it's, this is 2020 with the, the COVID the pandemic, presidential and the year, presidential the COVID year. pandemic and all that sort of thing. So that was just that was uh, kind of an anomaly, I think. But uh, we're uh, again, we're I think we're, you know, we're we've received about what we expected to uh, receive. Mm-hmm. And and I, I wanted to ask about that, too. How are um, you know, this was like we, we said, 2020, the situation that eventually led to the uh, 22nd congressional district and a recount that's ended up in court, um, which was a was a mess. What uh, what's changed? You and I have talked about this, but what what has changed uh, with how we process absentees based on 2020 now here in 2022? Well, there's a couple of changes um, that are significant and that I think have helped the process. One is um, if a if an absentee ballot comes in. Um, we, uh, we, we look at it when it comes in. Every, within four days, we are supposed to canvas that absentee ballot, okay? So, um, so we've done it twice a week, um, you know, for the past several weeks. They come in. Uh, we check the envelope um, and make sure it's sealed, make sure there's a, a signature on it, make sure the signature matches what we have on, on record. And, um, you know, it, and if there's a problem with the absentee ballot uh, envelope, we give people the opportunity now to cure the defect, which is really an enhancement to the process because we contact the voter and, uh, and then they can, they can cure the problem and say, yes, that's really my signature. It's changed a little bit. I, you know, I had this problem, whatever. How much of, so, that, how much of that do you, do you actually see? We see a lot of that. We see a lot of, really? uh, you know, you know, a lot of that. And that was one of the problems that we had with uh, with Brendisi and uh, and Tanny. You, you didn't. We had to stockpile all of these envelopes until um, like 14 days after the uh, general election. So there were a ton of them, and then we'd be going through them and canvassing them one by one, and and uh, you know, so so this uh, this is a better system, I think, because uh, because we do get more absentee ballots now, and uh, and this allows us to uh, canvas them, get them prepped to be counted um, on election night, which is when they're going to get counted. They don't get counted in advance, but they do get scanned twice. You know, beginning of early voting, uh, the batch that is prepared has been canvassed that is good. Those will get scanned, and then after early voting is over, uh, the additional ones that have come in during that nine-day period, those will get scanned. So you're in pretty good shape uh, with absentees by election night. Then and run it, and we'll get the results right on election right. night at 9 o'clock. Yeah, so that eliminates some of that downtime and in close races, like we could very well see in New York 19 this mm-hmm. year, like we saw in 22 in, in yeah. 2020. So that, yeah. that eliminates that kind of gap time while we're waiting for results, right? That's right. That's, uh, that's, and I think that's, that's better for the candidates, better for the system, better for everybody. So yeah, we've got some close races. You mentioned 1919 looks like it's very close by all accounts and, and we'll have some pretty good information, you know, at, uh, by certainly by 10, 
10 o'clock on election night, you know. So. All right. I, I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going <laughs> to make some late night plans on Tuesday. And, and yeah. if they get canceled, I'm blaming you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, and, and, and lastly, there was a lawsuit in um, uh, two lawsuits, but the one in particular, mm-hmm. uh, some Republican backed groups uh, sued over uh, whether to canvas these absentee ballots ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Just to clarify, that, uh, that was, uh, I believe, overturned, we could say. Um, and you guys are processing these ballots ahead of time, but did you have to pause that for a sec? Did that cause any any kind of issues? It did. It would have been a big problem, and we did we did do a pause for a few days um, because of this uh, this challenge, uh, and because uh, um, the lawsuit was brought up in uh, Saratoga County, the judge up there, Judge Freestone, um, actually declared the process to be unconstitutional, the new process that was approved by the legislature and the governor. And uh, that decision was ultimately, um, on November 1st, reversed mm-hmm. in its entirety. Uh, and the, the new system for canvassing absentee ballots is, was upheld as being uh, you know, a proper way to do it, not unconstitutional. The other um, decision that was made on the same day, they're kind of like companion cases, but we were actually named and the Cavalier case, and that was uh, uh, that was Cavalier against the uh, the Warren Board of Elections and a couple others, and that was uh, that was to declare this concept of uh, uh, illness as an excuse. Um, Whether you can uh, request an absentee as uh, as concern over illness, this was right. implemented during right. the the pandemic. Yeah, the legislature decided that an illness uh, should be should include uh, people that might not even have COVID, but they don't want to get it because they don't want to go and interact with a bunch of people. So if that is the case, that you had uh, a fear of contracting or spreading a disease, you could, uh, on that basis, request to vote by absentee. So that was uh, that was upheld as being a, a proper reason and within the purview of, uh, of the legislature's authority. Got it. And just generally, last question, how are things shaping up for Tuesday? Um, Do you have uh, enough resources to to go about? Are you expecting a a smooth day and everything? You know, that's, uh, I hope so. That's a bold question. (laughs) I hope so. so. But we have have had some cancellations for uh, inspectors. That happens. You know, people make a commitment and then something comes up or they're not feeling well. and, And we have... We have backups, but we had we did have quite a few cancellations for uh, um, poll inspectors on uh, on Tuesday. So hopefully we can uh, we can get through that. We we had uh, you know we had quite a quite a healthy surplus. Now we don't. We have enough poll inspectors, but the yeah. surplus is a little bit of a concern at this point. So so you had a decent amount of poll workers. I, I know that's been a concern in in some counties uh, having a lack of lack of poll workers, but you had a decent number. Yeah, we had we had a uh, we had a decent number plus plus extras to accommodate cancellations. Got it. You know, we're going to run ninety two different sites on Tuesday, um, and so you need uh, you know typically you would need two Democrats, two Republicans for all these election districts. Some are combos, and you, you know there's a different combination. But um, we had uh, we. We still have we still have that enough to adequately cover um, all these sites, but uh, 
but we can't have any more cancellations. Yeah, so. got it. All right. We'll, yeah. we'll tell everybody they can't. They can't cancel. <laughs> All right. All right. I've been speaking with Dan Reynolds, Democratic Election Commissioner in Broome County. Thanks again, Dan. Thanks, Vaughn. And that's it for this episode of Politics Tuesday. If you're listening to an In the Weeds local politics podcast, I, I, I assume you have a plan to vote. But hey, it doesn't hurt to remind some friends and family And whatever Tuesday brings, at least we can watch television without seeing attack ads 24-7 for a little while. For Tom Magnarelli, I'm Vaughn Golden, and this is Politics Tuesday from WSKG News.